Hey guys, Bear Grylls here just to say super excited for Charles Thorpe's podcast coming soon. You guys are going to love this. What a great guy he is and so many great stories. So enjoy these and remember above all, never give up. Now I personally believe that there's nothing better than a great adventure, whether it's to another country or into the backyard. It can have an amazing ability to change not just the way that we see the world, but also the way that we see ourselves. That is exactly what you're going to hear about from our incredible guests. On Great Adventures, I'm going to be hanging out with actors, athletes, thought leaders, and of course explorers, some old friends, and some new, to discuss how being adventurous benefited their lives. My name is Charles Thorpe. For over a decade, I've been chasing down epic stories professionally for magazines and television shows, and now I'm bringing those conversations here. Sometimes these places, they're so beautiful and unique, they, they kind of haunt you, they stick with you. And Iceland has been one of those places that has forever. And, and I've always looked for ways to create work, create experiences that others could go and experience. That was photographer and storyteller Chris Burkhardt, and it's time for Great Adventures. Biking across Iceland, new routes, always doing something completely massive. So yeah, how does it feel to be home? Let's ask, it, let's ask you know, that first. I, to be honest, um, it feels weird. It feels, uh, if I'm being totally transparent, it feels a little, I feel a little guilty because being in Iceland was so peaceful. I would wake up in the morning at times and I would totally forget that we're in this pandemic and not to say that, you know, I wasn't, I was being complacent, but it just like, it was a really wild experience to kind of remember what that was like. And um, I felt in some way like so much creativity and joy blossom from that. And I'm just, I'm just really looking forward to a time when we can hopefully get back to some sense of normalcy and which might not happen, but I, if anything, I'm just, you know, humbled and, and grateful. I got a chance to go and, and make this happen amidst this chaos. So, yeah, let's get into a little bit about the beginning of this road for you. When did you first pick up a camera and what did that feel like in your hands? And what were some of the first photos that maybe you started taking? For me, all the first photographs I ever took were really of just my friends. Um, you know, I, 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 I did a lot of art in high school and I, I loved the creative process. Like I was so enthralled by this idea of creating something with your hands that people could share and, and you could get paid for. Like that seemed just so foreign to me, you know, such a wild experience. And so now learning and being able to be like, okay, looking back and realizing that was sort of the impetus of this whole experience. Um, it was weird because I realized at an early age that I was just going out and trying to document my friends surfing up the coast. And then eventually I kind of picked up a camera and I looked at it in a different way. And I was like, maybe this tool could get me out of my small town I grew up in, get me out of the situation I was in, which, you know, was, I, I had a very, very meager beginnings and, and, you know, I wanted to see the world, wanted to know what was out there. And, and I, I felt stuck, you know, a lot of people feel that way. And I kind of looked at the cameras, maybe this tool that could, that could help with that. And, um, and that's really, I think that my first experience of trying to use it and just trying to rely upon it as a tool. Um, and, and that's really what I did. So yeah, first photographs were kind of of my friend surfing and, and just, you know, 
portraits of people and parties and that, and it kind of elevated to wanting to go out and shoot landscapes and wanting to document these places that I was spending my weekends in. And, and then, and then realizing that maybe if I pushed hard, this can become a career path that could take mm. me somewhere really significant. Let's jump forward to one of the more large scale trips you did. What was one of the more ambitious trips? Maybe one that you planned out best of your ability, but were way over your head and learned a lot from. I mean, there's been so, so many like that. My first trip to Norway was very much that experience. You know, my first trip to, you know, Canada, my first trip to Russia, um, the learning curve is is immense and and i mm. i that's one thing i feel like people sometimes forget is like and i don't say this with any ego i say this with the fact that like having gone to say iceland 30 40 times whatever i would have never attempted the things on my 43rd trip as i would have my first trip and even my right. film under an arctic sky it was the byproduct of feeling like you could take more risk and, and having more knowledge and, and layer upon layers of that kind of build. And then you get to a place where you feel comfortable and confident and like you can create something in this place. That being said, it's from failures. It's from mistakes that I've made that I've learned the most. And I guess one thing I want to say, you know, before we head into this story is just like people need to be able to make mistakes. I would say that so many of my early experiences traveling were just because I was a dumbass kid, like, you know, and I was trying to go about the world in a way that I didn't know, you know, nobody was there to teach me. There was no school for these sort of things. So my first trip to Norway, I remember going there and we had these delusions of grandeur that we were going to explore the northern tip of Norway up in Vardo, this national park, and then go down to these islands in the south and spend, it was like 15, 18 day trip, like almost a month, right? And we got up there, all the roads we planned to travel for like eight days were totally covered in snow not prepared at all, like lack of research, lack, like, you know, we had looked at it and we were like, okay, they should be open. Everything's good. But we didn't do the follow-up. We didn't take the time. Like, and how many people go to the places and they're like, oh, well, I didn't realize that. Yeah. You know, and that was me. But the difference was I had a career on the line. I had work on the line. I had convinced athletes to come from far across the world. I was shooting an article for a magazine. We ended up getting to this small town of Vardo where people are traveling around on snowmobiles and, and little tiny like it looks like the North Pole basically that's that's all there is right. to put it. it's right on the border of Russia and we ended up kind of haggling with a guy to see if they would let us take sled dogs out there because it was the only way to get to this remote national park where all these waves were um, and again like <laughs> This isn't like a vacation. I'm there for an assignment. This is how I was making a living at the time. This is what I was doing for work. I, I wanted my career in some capacity was on the line as it has been. And um, we're haggling with this guy and we realized that sled dogs just aren't going to make sense uh, because we had surfboards and food and camera equipment, yada, yada, yada. And so we, we ended up renting snowmobiles and we snowmobile out there on a road that would have taken an hour to drive. It was like a five to six hour snowmobile ride, survival suits, everything. We go out to this remote area. We surf once. We nearly get hypothermic because we don't have a vehicle or anything to change into. And it's, it's gnarly. I mean, it, the water is freezing. We're with these four Norwegian dudes who we don't know. It was borderline. I'm trying to be as PC as I can here, but it was borderline like banjos were playing in the background because we were like <laughs> kind of feeling trapped in this cabin. A lot of drinking ensued, a lot of other things. And it was just like, we were like 
you know, these, these four, you know, Westerners like stuck in our little room, like hiding out and, and yeah, things got pretty rowdy and it got a little touch and go. And then we eventually got back to the town like two days later and we're like, let's beeline it to the next town, the place we were going to go explore for more time. Um, Cause we were going to make our way down the coast. And we got onto this ferry that was supposed to take our car. Cause we couldn't drive there just over to the next peninsula. Right. And we're like, great. We're going to get there. It's going to be sick. We have this rad place to stay. The roads are open. We had done our research, but we get on that boat and a massive storm began. And I remember being called up to the captain's office and he's like, Hey, you guys can't get off here. And I'm like, Oh, it's no problem. We'll get off on the next stop and we'll drive back. And he's like, that's fine. And then we get to the next stop and he's like, we can't get off there either. We had to go in the inner waters. And so two days later, he's like, we can finally stop. It was like a seven day ferry that goes all the way down. Right. I mean, Norway is huge. Massive, and yeah. all of a sudden I get, we, he's like, you guys can get off. And I'm, he's like, it's going to be like a 30 hour drive to get there. And so it was just like one of those things where like everything kind of went wrong. And the moment that we were like, okay, let's reevaluate. Let's like, let go of this idea that we're just going to, we're going to go and and sort of, you know, experience this one place. And so what we ended up doing was staying on the boat and making our way down to the Southern islands, which still required a massive drive and other things. And, 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 you know, nature kind of gave us a break at that point. We got an incredible experience. I was able to create some of the best images of my life um, on that trip, but truly it was one of those things where I don't think I would have, if I didn't hadn't experienced that first turmoil, that first like bit of just, absolute chaos that you know that we that we came in contact with on the first like seven eight days of the trip oh that's epic man uh tell me a little bit about life on the boat that you weren't expecting to be on for so long you know what, what I mean, were the it was, days it was like a, it was a ferry it was nice you know i mean you might even think of it as like a really really terrible cruise ship <laughs> um <laughs> but it but it was a it was a ferry you know so you're just like your car's down below you know you're kind of like we don't have sleeping quarters and we basically didn't pay for them. So like, you know, That's we're, what, we're, my question we're, was that. So the sleeping arrangements, what was that like? Yeah, We're just sitting on like, you know, those like perforated seats that, that you can't lay flat on. And we're like laying on the ground. We don't have sleeping bags. We don't have anything. We're, it, we were totally unprepared. And that's the funny thing is like life as a dirt bag photographer in those early days, I, I really cling to those memories because they teach you just how resilient you are as a kid, as a youth. Right. Um, and I just, something about that really has always stuck with me as like being so special, being willing to know what you can endure. And, and I think that in my life, you know, you've kind of alluded to this. It's obvious that I, I sort of gravitate to challenging things, whether it's a challenging photograph, whether it's some stupid bike ride or whatever that is. I think a part of that is because I love reminding myself of what it's like to struggle and to suffer and to feel super insignificant. And, you know, those moments when you're on a snowmobile heading out to some remote national park in the Arctic circle, and you've never been there before, and you're kind of terrified gripping onto some big Norwegian dude that you've, you've never met in your life. You're putting your trust into a, a place, into a thing, into an idea. You feel insignificant. And that's what I've chased my entire career. Like whether it's, you know, some ultra endurance run through Iceland or trying to document the solar eclipse or I, I love the challenge because if there is no opportunity for failure, what's the point? If you go into it knowing the exact result you're going to get exactly what you 
what you planned on, there's no learning that occurs. So I'm looking for things that have a chance of failure, sometimes a high chance. Tell me a little bit about some of the photos you might have picked up during this trip in Norway and, and maybe one of the ones that you weren't expecting, but because of these situations that uh, unfolded, you found yourself in a position to grab something powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy because we, we, because of the fact that we were on that ferry and we got down to the Lofoten Islands early, way earlier than planned, like six days earlier than planned, we got the best swell of the trip. Like the very first day we arrived, the very first morning, we had just driven nine hours through the night. Everybody was so tired. They passed out and I could not sleep. I was, I was so stoked to be there. I was so stoked to see good surf. And I knew that I'd been waiting for this and I just started shooting everything. And I literally stayed up for like 36 hours straight. And that day was the best day of surf we had in the whole 18 days we were there. Mm -hmm. That day was the day that like I shot, you know, a cover and a bunch of spreads and it was, it was the day. And so in many ways, like, those experiences, sometimes you're looking at it, you know, perspective is everything. And you're looking at it like, this is the worst thing ever. Oh my gosh. But we could have fought and fought and drove. And, but I think there's a, there's a lesson in life, which is that at certain moments you need to learn to let go. And um, that's hard for me, you know, as kind of a control person, I guess you could say learning to like let go and embrace what is coming your way. Uh, that only occurred because I was willing to sort of let it let it happen and 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 those images were the best of the whole trip oh that's awesome man do you remember a piece of gear that perhaps now that you have all this experience you wish you had brought with you to norway if anything i just brought too much like you know it's it's easy to overpack in those trips because you don't know what you're getting into so it's always like the first trip you've been there, you're going to absolutely overpack and have a terrible, like, you know, you're going to have just way too much crap. Right. And, and I think looking back, I would have brought like a suitcase less of stuff probably because I, I, I would have realized, Oh, well I, I could have just worn these boots and I could have just brought this jacket and I could, you know, so I just wish at the time that there was better cameras than there was uh, because nowadays the, the technology that's out is incredible. Let's talk a little bit more about one of the more recent trips that really sort of moved you as a person that maybe you weren't expecting, even being somebody that has a passport that I can only imagine how many stamps are on it. I recently went to the Kuril Islands, which was a really amazing experience. There's a film that just released called From Kurils with Love, and it's, it was directed by Taylor Reese. Her husband, Renan Ozturk, as well as a, a really awesome ragtag crew of scientists and photographers, we all were on a boat for a Russian media company to document these islands. And, and what ended up happening was basically the very first day of the trip, this Russian scientist, Vladimir Birkinov, kind of stowawayed on our boat as like a hitchhiker sort of thing. I mean, literally. And the whole story unfolded that this, that there was this volcano, this volcano had just erupted and he was doing uh, like uh, stellar sea lion research. And so he really wanted to go there and check on his cameras and see what was going on. And we literally, that was never the plan at all. It was the plan was to like go to these islands and explore, but, but his mission became our mission. And it was such a rad experience to see these islands from the eyes of a scientist who's been researching for 30 years in this place. Like 
I can't, I can't even, uh, you know, express how cool that was to, to see his, his um, camera traps and to go through this environment from his perspective. That was a real, I mean, th- this is the beauty of, I think, being open to new experiences. And obviously we all kind of had our own agenda, but then to kind of throw that to the wayside and just be able to embrace what he had to do and say was really special. That's awesome, man. So let's get into the most recent trip to Iceland yeah. and biking across a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you say that sentence out loud before you took this trip? I actually um, won this race last year called the Wow Cyclothon, but it follows the ring road. So it's all on tarmac, which is beautiful. The ring road in Iceland is gorgeous and it's 850 miles, you know, and you can go around it. And it was a crazy, beautiful personal journey. But even when I was there doing that and, and the year since then, I mean, sometimes these places, they're so beautiful and unique. They, they kind of haunt you, right? Like they, they stick with you. And Iceland has been one of those places that has forever. And, and I've always looked for ways to create work or create experiences that others could go and experience, right? Like with effort, right? That's the goal. And, and I think that this idea of leaving a legacy is important. And that's, that's all I can really consider is like, and so I, when I started to look into other routes through ice and I was thinking like, what is the, the route? What is the best route you could ever create that, that takes you through the actual heart all across the dirt, the sand, the riverbeds, everything, not on tarmac, you know, on this just beautiful, rugged interior. So you can fully get that real experience. And when we designed this route, which was east to west we started in the furthest eastern point and we went to the furthest western point and the goal of it was to take people hopefully because the goal is for people to experience this themselves um, but being the first ascensionist you know you're, you're dealing with a lot of prep and planning and you don't know what you need you're bringing too much you're bringing too little it's it's really scary in some regards right and you know you don't know the food you're, you're everything's kind of a gamble until it's done Um, And so the goal with this route was first of all, to create something others could experience because Iceland is a special place to me. It's highlands are in need of protection and people should go and experience those in a way that is not detrimental to the landscape, which would be by foot or by bike or, you know, and even by super Jeep can be, can be really awesome way to experience it too. But many of these places, many of these river systems we've passed are are in threat of being dammed and they're a threat of being used for aluminum smelters. So uh, my work protecting or advocating for the environment in Iceland over the last seven years, um, this was a, a key component of that was like trying to design ways for people to experience this place. And I can't think of a more pure way than by bike where you can move fast, but you can still take it in. And this route is kind of separated day by day by the route that people would, would travel on horseback to potentially get from one area to the next. There's hot springs like five of the six or five of the nine nights that we we spent there. Um, you could go faster, you could go longer, but the one reality is that it is dangerous because mm-hmm. there are some really severe river crossings. And what I mean by that is like, we did it during a time when the weather window was perfect. Like I cannot, I'm telling you, I've been there so many times, like I've never seen a better weather window. And when we crossed one of these rivers, the week prior, we had scouted it with a, with a truck to, to make sure that it was doable and it wasn't passable. It was like five feet deep 
rushing glacial stream. It was really hot. And so a week later, you know, we're sitting at this cabin, this mountain hut, and we're trying to decide, do we do this route that we planned or do we do a big workaround that would have added like a whole day? And, you know, there's mm. ego there and you're trying, you know, you want to keep the purity of the line. You want it to go, you know, do we, do we set out? But if we do set out, then our workaround becomes even longer if we have to double back. You know, we had camping gear to stay on the river's edge. It was it was really real, and it was a really scary experience. And there was so much anxiety. I couldn't sleep the night before. You know, you're preparing for a day with 70 river crossings or so. You know, some of them two inches, some of them four feet. And so um, that was fearful, and it, it added a lot of anxiety to a trip. But other than that, I mean, it was a beautiful, amazing experience. It was hard, and we documented it to put into a film that people could experience. That's really cool, man. Uh, I can't wait to see that. Can you tell me a little bit about the gear that you guys brought out there and, and how you yeah. sort of prepared for the trip? Um, yeah, I mean, that was a big part of the thing. Like, you know, bikepacking is, is very gear intensive only, and I'm not saying it's expensive. I'm just saying that like testing and prepping and using the gear prior is important. So you know what you're getting into and you know what you're using um, and you feel comfortable on that gear. And, uh, and that was kind of a big part of this puzzle, right? Um, was like months, months prior doing bikepacking trips, testing it. So I, I rode a hardtail, a specialized Epic hardtail with obviously front suspension. Two of the guys on the trip rode rigid bikes that were uh, a little a little heavier and had a little wider tires. Um, and then Emily Batty, she rode a dual suspension um, bike uh, and and obviously you know we we all opted for a bit different setup you know we 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 kind of went back and forth with the size tires we wanted to bring um, 2.6 inch was like the, the largest that the the other guys brought I brought a, I used a 2.6 in the front and a 235 in the back and a 235 is like the very 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 thinnest I would ever go in fact I think that doing the whole route, on like two sixes would have been more ideal. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, racks, racks broke, bags broke, everything kind of like was thrashed. There's certain things I would have brought a little more burly of, like I would have brought more burly stuff sacks because just the sand and the grit and the things in there and things rubbing was, was really hard. All the Revelate gear we use, like the, the panniers, the front bags, they were bulletproof. They lasted through the whole thing. And that stuff was, was really awesome. Uh, we used uh, base layers and, and most of our like normal kit and jackets were Lululemon. It dries quickly and that was, help, that was super helpful. The other thing was basically I was uh, trying to implement, you know, as, as much food in the route as possible, meaning like places that we could, we could eat along the way because that, that still, still kind of constitutes self-supported because you're stopping at established locations, not getting food like caches and stuff like that. So, but we only had one on the first day, a gas station. And then we have like six days where there's absolutely nothing there. And that's pretty, pretty, pretty real. Um, so we brought 25 pounds of food each and, and luckily that kept us good. Like the last three days we had a gas station. And, but the hard thing is you go to a gas station, you go to a grocery store, you can only pack so much on the bike. So you're usually getting mm. one great meal and maybe you're bringing like a couple thousand calories to, to go with you for the rest. But yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty real deal. 
and now you had biked around Iceland a few times before. Is there any scene from this trip that you remember that was something outside of what you had seen before? Any sort of like visual photographs that you can sort of remember? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There was, I mean, riding around the country is nothing whatsoever like riding through the interior. It, it might as well be a different planet. We rode through areas where like NASA tested the lunar rover because it's the most moon-like environment on the planet, right? Big pieces of lava, big craters, fine, fine dust, you know, that, that's, that's similar to moon dust. You know, it's like lo- lo- volcanic ash, you know, which gets into every single thing you have, gets into your eyes, everything. It's super gnarly. And when you mix that with water, it just, beca- it just like cakes everything you have. I mean, my derailleur, my drivetrain was just so destroyed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, there was one significant experience when we went from Askia Lake, which is this big crater lake, and we went towards Vatniyoko National Park. You, you go through the most, uh, I would say, tectonically active place on the planet, meaning there's the most, uh, there's more earthquakes there than anywhere else in the world, like on a daily basis. It's crazy. And it's this big stretch of sand. And then you get right to where this fissure was that was Iceland's most recent eruption. And you're riding through this area. It's like you're riding through sand, sand, sand. And then all of a sudden there's like lava rock and then more and then more and then more. And then all of a sudden you're driving through a lava field and these sharp pieces of rock. And then all of a sudden that stops and there's a huge riverbed riverbed that was like dry bone dry beautiful like flat and you're just like so grateful it's there and i remember riding through this riverbed and and you're looking down and there's beautiful patterns underneath you and then in the distance we could see this white stuff and what it was was frost that had sort of extracted from the ground because there's water kind of in the ground because these riverbeds every day the rivers fill back up what happens is you're super close to the glacier. And so the glacier is kind of is retaining water. It's freezing overnight. And then middle of the day, like 12, it's a hot day. It breaks open and the river fills back up. And we were there right during that time when it filled back up and we could see the trickle of water and we rode up to it and we just watched as this river kind of like, like rivulets filled in all these braided streams. It was one of the coolest experiences of my life. And to be honest, not even something that I could um, describe or show in an image in a photograph because it was, you had to see it. It was such a cool thing. So that, that was probably maybe just the coolest thing that I saw. Great Adventures is lucky to have partners that share our love for a good story like Whistle Pig Whiskey. They're American rice perfected in the beautiful Vermont countryside. I've been to their farm, I've seen the process, and a lot of care goes into creating each glass. It's also the perfect nightcap after a day in the wild. Check them out on Instagram at Whistle Pig Whiskey. I love the direction that your career has taken. I think 100% you're doing exactly what you need to do in that realm. When do you feel sort of moved enough to take a photo? What does it sort of take? Is it sort of an emotional thing? Is it a, you know, just like, I got to have this. It's a funny thing. There's this old, there's this old mindset that, that says like, oh, the best camera is the one you have with you. But really, I don't think that's true. I think that the best camera is honestly the one you're willing to take out. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on 
a backpacking trip. I have a camera and it's inside my back. It's deep in my bag and I don't want to pull it out, right? Because, because it's a pain to do so. And that's really, really hard to, to accept is like, sometimes you see moments and you just, you don't have the drive to like dig through your stuff. So I've found more and more that creating something worthwhile, creating something meaningful, it's, it's, it's really irrespective of the, the tool you're using. It's about, is it significant? Does it mean something to you? For me, I think what I've gotten better at is wrecking, recognizing when a moment is really significant, when it's really unique, and then just shooting the crap out of it as much as I can, as many images as I can. And that usually helps me to, to feel like I documented it fully. For all the other tiny moments that happen, like I'm okay using my phone, I'm okay using a little point and shoot, um, because all those are is like, those are little tiny things just to jog the memory bank. They aren't necessarily these big heroic images. Sometimes we get into a situation where we convince ourselves that every moment is significant. I mean, really, it might not be. It might not be as cool as you think, right? So I think for me, that's been a big part of it is just, is just understanding which tool for which job and, and, and realizing when something really strikes you because there's a fine balance between really living that moment and being able to experience it as a person and then being able to document it as a photographer. And you don't want to sacrifice one for the other. For so many of us, especially now, we're all sort of racking up this list of places that we want to go. You know, when we can travel again, maybe we want to, we're thinking about grabbing a car and road tripping up somewhere that we sort of heard about for a long time. For you, yeah. what was one place that you sort of carried around for a while? We were like, I can't wait to go here. I know this is going to be a great spot that actually lived up to what you were hoping it would be um, that maybe people can sort of point their own sort of compasses towards? For me, every single place I've ever been that's been the most profound, the most worthwhile, the most beautiful, it's always been based upon the amount of research I've put into it. You know, going to the Aleutian Islands, that lived up to every amount of effort and energy and two years of planning, but that's what it was. It was years of planning and orchestrating. Um, so I don't know, really know what to say. Like, it's hard because, yeah, I would love for more people to experience these places, yet they need to be able to put in the effort. And it's not a matter of cost. Like, um, I've been to many of these places, Iceland specifically, on a shoestring budget. It's very doable. It's just a matter of being able to put in that time and energy to plan and maybe to even suffer a little bit, right? That's kind of a key component of it. This trip to Iceland, that I did even by, by bike was one of the cheaper trips I've ever done because we didn't rent a car and we didn't have an Airbnb the whole time. And we were, you know, eating food that we brought from home and, and, or we, it was kind of, kind of wild when you think about that. And, and obviously I, I do really get excited about sharing places and experiences people can have. And, and that's a big part of it. These experiences are approachable. Like, absolutely. It's just not easy. And that's, I think the big thing is like, anything worth experiencing is going to require us to suffer just a little bit. Well, I have two questions that I ran the podcast out with. The first one is if I hand you a plane ticket and you could go anywhere and do anything, <laughs> where would you go and what would you do? As he <laughs> that's yawns, he's, that's a yawn. he's like, I'll go to bed. <laughs> well, that's what happens when you're jet lagged from getting back in Iceland. I, I, I only returned home about three days ago. So that's a good question. Uh, to be honest, Holy cow. Man, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. Like, um, there's stories that I'd like to tell. 
there's definitely vacations I would love to have, but I don't really allow myself to travel for vacation because I, I don't think that I, I just can't justify jumping on a plane to go somewhere. So I think I would have to think deeply about what is that story or what is that experience I want to have. I've been pretty drawn to go to um, Lake Baikal in Russia, which is the frozen lake that spans over like a 500 mile radius. It's amazing. It used to be a passageway for um, a lot of the, the, the Northern tribes to come through. It was like actually the, the main passageway, the main transport way. And so it has crazy history, really wild. There's tons of like trucks that are just at the bottom of the lake too, and, and people and, and animals and this and that. And it's, it's got a lot. So I've always wanted to go document that. That's been kind of a dream of mine. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a laundry list of places I've been dreaming of seeing, but that's probably at the top of my list. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is, if I say the perfect sunset, what place comes into your mind? The perfect sunset for me is more about who you're with than what it is, because you know, a sunset is irrespective of kind of where you are. It's always just going to be a silhouette, right? You're shooting into the sun. The colors are warm. They're cool. So what makes that image significant? What makes that image unique? You know, usually it's what you place in the foreground, what you place in the background and who you're with and why would that register over all the beautiful sunsets that you've seen? That's kind of the, the mindset that I try to approach when I think of that, because I've seen a lot of pretty amazing sunsets all over the world. The ones at home are usually the most significant because of who I'm with. The sun came up, the world began to shake. Fault lines exposing all my own mistakes. If I could do anything. Memorized his lines. <laughs> 
hallward from the front of the stage.